Okay. So um, my, my habit, in case, if I, haven't, I should introduce myself. There are guests here. I, my name is Terry, and um, I'm glad you're here. I've said that, and I will keep saying that until you get tired of hearing it. I have this habit when I, I'm going to open up the Word of God in, in, in front of a group of people. I just love to always put up one of the Proverbs. And so in case you're not like way, way into the, the Bible a lot, there are 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs, and since the most days in any calendar month, there's 31, there's always something appropriate. So today being the date that it is, I always pick a proverb. So today's the 24th, so I picked one of the Proverbs out of Proverbs 24. So let's stick that up there and just read that. Don't build your house and establish a home until your fields are ready and you are sure that you can earn a living. That's pretty contemporary. That's pretty cool. That's why I picked it, I suppose, anyway, so... But that's not our message. I want to invite the Lord. God, as we spend time today in your word and considering the things, God, that you would just put upon our hearts, we invite you here. We ask for revelation. We ask, God, for the scripture to be true that says that your word never returns void. We know it is, and we we rest upon it now in Jesus' name. Yes. Amen. Amen. You know, on the surface, Christianity can kind of seem like um, a lot of wishful thinking, a lot of hope-filled dreams, you know, it's like, I hope when I die that, uh, well, it's, it's all going to work out because there's a good God somewhere who lives in a good place. And when people, you know, people are relatively good. So, so all of them or a lot of them are just going to end up in that good place because we're all relatively good. And then when you happen to be at work or wherever you happen to be and you tell people what you believe about God, you say, well, you, you tell them that. You tell them the things that were on that video and so forth, maybe. And then they'll listen politely because that's the thing to do in our culture. And then they say, well, that's fine, but you know, kind of here's what I believe. And there's this tendency in those kind of moments to just take Christianity and throw it into the pot with a whole bunch of other world religions. We're just one of many. It's kind of the tendency. And, and I don't know, what can you say when you say to somebody you know, what you believe? And they say, well, that works for you, but that's not my deal. And, or they say this, they get a little more challenging, and they say, well, but how do you know you're right? How do you know Christianity is right? You know, and you got lots of answers. Some of them maybe are helpful, but, you know, you could say, well, because my mom told me, right? We all know that our mother would tell us the truth, right? Where are the mothers in this room? It's like, you know, Mother's Day is coming, right? Okay? And this is a, this is a pretty poor warm-up, so I'm giving you a chance. So... One of the answers would be my mom told me, and that, but that really doesn't wash at work in the break room, does it? I mean, it doesn't really settle it. Or you could say, well, the Bible says, and for people who just really haven't uh, taken a perspective about the Bible, it, it doesn't really answer the question, too. So there's this, just this tendency to say, well, on this menu of choices, Christianity is just, just one of them. But there are some pretty huge distinctions between Christianity and other world religions. You know, I'll give you a few of them. Most religions believe that if you're good enough, you'll be able to go to heaven. I mean, in some fashion, they teach that if you're good enough, you go to heaven. We're the opposite. We believe you can be bad, and you'll get to heaven. I mean, think about it. We talk about the fact that if you're bad, and you find that, figure it out, and you admit you need God, that's the real pathway. And it's like you think, you know, wait a minute, I have to be good, and I can't be good enough but that's what gets me to heaven. But if I join with, 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 with this, I can be bad and I get to heaven. Why don't more people sign up? Why, I mean, I know a lot of people agree, but there are other even more, um, you know, huger, is there such a word, um, <laughs> distinctions besides that, you know. Um, 
you know, we, we try to be practical when somebody says, well, why are you a Christian? We, we say, well, you know, it really works. The things we, that they teach there really work. For example, they say, we say, well, um, you know, I listen to the teachings about marriage and I tried them out and actually my marriage got better. So it worked. Or, you know, the things that it teaches about raising your kids, when you do it, it actually makes a difference and it's positive. So it works. It makes perfect sense. So we say, well, you know, it's about my f- kids and my finances. There's this list of things that we can say. It works, it works, it works. But still, that's not the primary distinction that I would want. I wanna, there's an even bigger one than that. And um, now listen, I'm going to say some things in the next couple of minutes. Some of you might have, if you had tomatoes with you, you'd probably throw them at me. But hold on until I get through this, okay? Nobody get up and stomp out and be angry with me yet, okay? Thank you. I need, okay, I need a better thank you. Yeah, but no, yes than that. Okay, so... The foundation of our faith is not even the teachings of Jesus Christ. You know, the foundation of all the other world religions is somebody's teaching. They say, they say here's what they say about themselves. They say, well, uh, I'm, uh, um, I, I've got this, these, these teachings from this prophet. He came and he taught and he's got this book and, and, and he, these things are good. And so I follow him. And then they say about you and me, well, you, same thing. Jesus was a good person. He was a prophet. He said these things. He died and you've got your book. And so I have mine and you have yours. Um, but it's not really an accurate picture of us because the foundation of what we believe and why we celebrate and why we give and why we serve and why we do all of the things like that is not anybody's teaching. Our foundation is not anybody's teaching. That truth in and of itself sets us apart from all the other world religions, but I'm not there yet. I'm going to keep pressing through. You know, other religions have a philosophy. And if you subscribe to that philosophy, you follow it, you do it, and then if somewhere along the line something happens and you change your mind and your philosophy starts to shape a little bit, which kind of happens as, as you live life, your philosophy kind of changes and shapes, then you just stop that philosophy and you walk away and you just adopt a new philosophy and you go that direction for a while. And, uh, but, you know, so you want to, you know, Christianity is a philosophy? No. No, the foundation of Christianity is not a philosophy. It's not a worldview. It's none of those things. It's not anybody's teaching. The foundation of Christianity is also not a country. You know, I, I suppose you, being born here doesn't make you a Christian. You probably have talked to people and they say, oh yeah, well, I'm a Christian, aren't we all Christians because we live here and Christmas comes and I buy my presents. And, um, you know, but, but citizenship, immigrating here, it's not about this country. You may have noticed people immigrate here and they bring their own faith. In fact, citizenship here is more about not, about not declaring your faith. Our, our constitution wants to protect the requirement for any particular way of believing. Christianity, therefore, has nothing to do with a place. And contrary to popular belief, Christianity, the foundation of it is not faith. It's not this thing that, you know, okay, well, I'm, if you can believe, if you believe, if you can just believe enough, you know, okay, okay. Believe me. I mean, how do you do that? How do you how do you believe harder? You know, and if you believe harder enough, pretty soon you'll see it happening in front of your eyes, and it'll be easier to believe. And so you just, I mean, is there some sort of a of a inertia belief inertia inertia? I don't know. I, is there something that gets that going? I don't know. I, it's 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 not faith. What sets us apart from every 
other world religion. The foundation of our faith is an event. An event. And it happened one morning. The whole thing that we believe, everything that we do here, hinges on it, it depends upon it, it rises and it falls on it. And it's not the teachings of a person, not even the teachings of Christ. It's not on the death of Christ. Lots of people have died. It's not on the crucifixion. Lots of people were crucified. The thing that all of this rises and hinges upon is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That fact is the foundational point for for everything that you and I believe. It's all that we do. The reason that we're here, the reason we celebrate, what sets us apart is that one solitary event. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. You know, and that's a pretty significant difference if you think about it. You know? It's almost like how that impacted the start of the church is like the opposite of other world religions. Because here's how the other ones kind of started. They had their prophet who came and he said, hey, believe this way, think this way, do this way. And people thought about it and they liked what they heard. And then at some point that leader either was martyred or they died, and the, the surrounding leaders said, hey, that's really good. Let's keep the dream alive. Let's keep the dream alive. And off they went, and they went and they taught, and they preached, and they've done their thing, and they've spread, keep the dream alive. Okay, that's how, most, that's how the other world religions have started. You, if you research them, you'll find that there's a pattern. Christianity. So Jesus was martyred. And it didn't happen quite that way. He was martyred. His followers, the closest people to him, were so discouraged, so brokenhearted, so overwhelmed that they went fishing. They they huddled together alone for a while in a little place. They were afraid that they were next. They were fear-filled. There was no keep the dream alive rally. It was like keep us alive rally. It was the exact opposite. There wasn't some sort of thing that happened. It wasn't the death of Jesus, and it wasn't the teachings of Jesus. And they're, they're, here they are now. Okay, game over. whole thing was a charade. Obviously, he was a fraud. Hmm. At the moments, the days following the, jet, the death of Jesus, here they were, completely alone and dejected. There was no plans to go out and start the church. Christianity wasn't launched because of the teachings of Jesus and it wasn't launched even because of the crucifixion because after the crucifixion happened, the whole thing died. It died. You know, the Pharisees were really happy. They had done what they tried to do at that point. They thought it was over. And the disciples, they went out and went fishing. They had to go out and get jobs. They knew that nobody was going to pay them just because they were followers of a dead prophet. They just, it was over. Now, here's the problem. If Jesus had just only taught the good things, hey, here's how you love one another, hey, here's how you help widows and orphans, if he had just done those things and taught those things, then they could have been, his disciples could have been like every other religion. They could have said, hey, keep the dream alive. These are good things, and let's go out and push those. But Jesus just went too far. He just went too far. He started saying, he had, had already said some things like, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. 
I and the Father are one. The only way, the only way to God is through me. I mean, talk about painting yourself into a corner. There was no wiggle room. No wiggle room at all. He claimed he was equal to God. Everybody understood what he was saying. There was no, there was no questions about what, what he was getting at. And then he painted himself all the way onto one little tippy toe, and he said, oh, and by the way, after three days, I'm going to rise from the dead. Top that. Okay, I don't know. So here's the problem. He was so clear, so specific. His philosophy, his teachings were so tightly wound, and he had so closely aligned himself with God the Father, and he even claimed to be God, that when he died, the dream died with him. It's just gone. Obviously, he's a hoax. He's a sham. We've given up three, lives of, three years of our lives for nothing. You know, it's over. He's dead. How could God allow himself to be, you know, publicly humiliated, hands tied behind his back, crucified on a cross, spinning? How could he allow himself to be treated that way? Game over. We were suckered. It's over. There's no comparison, though, to the rest of the world religions because... After three days, Jesus rose from the dead. <laughs> he rose from the dead. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> and then this bunch of cowardly head for the hills that had given up guys went out and they did change the world. And here we are 2,000 years later talking about it. Not because of what Jesus said, Because after everything he said, they still went fishing. Not because of the miracles he performed, because even though he had done the miracles, they still went back and huddled and hid in a room, afraid, and then they split up and they scattered. And it wasn't even because he died on the cross, because after the crucifixion, it still didn't ignite anything in these guys' hearts. What sent them out with their hearts on fire was that they saw a dead man walking. They saw a dead man walking. He rose from the dead. You know, overnight, thousands of people, thousands of people turned from, from years, actually long time, a long period of time, heritage and belief. They turned from all that and embraced Christianity. Not because they heard a great sermon. Not because worship was terrific. Thank you, Eric and the team. It was really good. I appreciate it. But it wasn't even because of those kinds of things. And it wasn't because Jesus died. They saw lots of people die. They abandoned everything that they had been taught, all that their mother and father had taught them, and turned away from from, uh, traditional Judaism, in a sense, and turned to Christianity because of of an event that was so undeniably true that you'd have to be a fool to pretend that it didn't happen. Hundreds of people saw Jesus walking through the streets. They saw a dead man alive. It caused all this commotion. It caused all this, so much commotion that the leaders all got kind of stirred up about it and they didn't know what to do now and the Romans got all stirred up and they didn't know what to do about it now and, and um, you know, these cowardly men who had hidden themselves and, and, when, and left when Jesus had, was arrested and wouldn't stand with him at, at the cross and, and when w- they denied Christ when little girls asked them about him. I mean, those same guys went out and changed the world not because of the teachings, 
No, not because of sermons or philosophies or speech, but because somebody died. They saw a dead man walking. They saw Jesus rise from the dead. And everything that you and I learn here and we do here and we believe, it's not based on beliefs. It's not based on teachings. Not based on philosophy. But instead, it's based upon one singular event. And that's what makes us so radically different from every other world religion. You know, if you're outside um, the faith of Christianity and you're, you know, looking at the teachings of Jesus, that's a good thing to do. Set all of that aside and just think about these facts here. When you see somebody stand up out of a grave, it's got to get your attention. I mean, come on. I mean, I'm going to walk through life and I'm going to do what I do and love as I can love and be what I can do and make mistakes as I mistake. And there, you know, there comes a time where my, my heart's going to say, okay, three, two, one, done. And all of us, we can acknowledge it, you know, especially if we're relatively healthy because it's somewhere. But the truth is, it's a little bit scary, right? Okay, you're all really brave, but... So it's a little bit scary. So... When I see somebody who says, oh, oh, death, the grave, well, <laughs> to me, I got that covered. I got power over that. That, that, has to say, that has to say something. It's like, okay, you said you've been to see God, and you're with God, and you are God, and you actually demonstrate the power over death and the grave. Okay, how do I get in line here? How do I sign up? I mean, that's... Something. Okay, so we haven't opened up the Word of God yet other than Proverbs. We should spend a couple of minutes there, don't you think? I want to do that real quickly. Um, we're going to be in the book of Acts, but let me set the stage for you. The book of Acts is in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then Acts. Um, Acts was written by Luke. Um, Luke was a doctor, and um, I don't know if you know, about, if you know any doctors or if there are any doctors here. Um, I, I wouldn't... Um, well, here's, here's the deal about doctors. They've gone through a lot of school a lot of detailed school. For the most part, they're very detail-oriented people. They want their facts. They want to line things up. They want to have a good grasp for what's actually true. So that's the guy that wrote the book of Acts. And here's the circumstances. Um, Jerusalem is completely upside down. You know, the Romans... The, the deal was this. The Romans had hired the Pharisees to keep control of the people. The Romans were governing. They hired the Pharisees and said, okay, you keep things under control here. And we'll give you some special privileges. You just keep the people under control. And things went fine for quite a long time. And then all of a sudden, there's this dead man walking around. And everything's all stirred up. Thousands of people overnight have abandoned their faith. And the leaders are now losing control. Meanwhile, Peter and and John, who are the two kind of main guys, they're on their way to the temple one day, and they see this 40-year-old man who's never walked. He's been a cripple his entire life. He was born that way. And um, they go up, and they pray over him. They heal him, and now he's walking around. So you've got a dead man walking around. You've got a man who's never walked walking around. Things are just kind of unraveling for the leadership. Things kind of going kind of crazy. And so the leaders come up to these two guys, and they say, hey, what are you doing here? And they say, hey, don't give us credit. It was Jesus whom you crucified. Now, we're going to be in Acts chapter 4, but I'm going to back up a little bit and just show you uh, their statement in Acts chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. And um, I have the habit of sticking it up on the wall, so... Or actually, somebody else does that on my behalf. Thank you. Um, and so, so here we go, Acts um, 3, verse 14. He's, here's here's their, their answer to the challenge. And they say, You disown the holy and righteous one and ask, for, ask that a murderer be released. That would be Barabbas to you. You killed the author of life. 
Wow, you killed the author of life. But God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. You know, notice that the central theme here was not, oh, it was, it was not, you know, love one another. That wasn't the theme that they were teaching. They weren't saying, you know, love your neighbors. They weren't, those are all good things, but that wasn't their teaching theme. Their teaching theme here, thing here was Jesus is risen from the dead. Some big, huge uproar. So the leaders arrest these guys. Okay, so now move down to Acts, the next chapter, um, 4, verse 1. Now the priests and the captain of the temple guard, that, that'd be like the chief of police. They had a, a temple police that were there to keep order. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees, Sadducees do not believe in the resurrection. That is why they are sad, you see. <laughs> okay. Okay, so my kids are rolling their eyes because they're tired of hearing that. <laughs> so now, but listen, see how smart you are because the next time you're at this dinner party and you say, you know, the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection because you can remember they're sad, you see, right? <laughs> so they came up to Peter and John. And um, now, mind you, this is a p- group of people whose philosophy is that there is no life after death, no resurrection. And a dead man's walking around. The philosophy is kind of in trouble here, don't you think? <laughs> Okay, so they come up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people and they were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. Again, this is central to their message. They seized Peter and John and because it was evening, they put him in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed and the number of men grew to about 5,000. Now, it's typical for the population statistics to be of the men. So you have to allow us assume here it's more than 5,000. You've got 5,000 or so men, and uh, the Bible would not overstate that. So 5,000 men, you've got their wives, you know, another 5,000 and some number of kids. We could easily probably be talking here 10, 12, maybe 15,000 people overnight. Mm-hmm. Now, the population of Jerusalem at this point... Um, probably was about 80,000 permanent residents. Um, it may have been way more crowded than that because it was at the time of the Passover and a lot of people would have migrated there. But still, 15,000 people, that's a pretty big commotion in any city. You put 15,000 people downtown Seattle, it would make the world trade thing that happened a number of years ago like a distant speck of memory. 15,000 people. There's a lot going on here. And, you know, in, in a few days, they, they're, they're thinking, okay, I know what I was taught, but I've seen a dead man walking. I know what, I was, I know what you're teaching in the temple, but I saw a dead man walking. Wow. Verse 5. The next day, the rulers, elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and the other men of the high priest family. I think it's important that Luke put these kinds of details in, not because this is a fable, but this is actual history going on here. Um, Verse 7, they had Peter and John brought before them, and they began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Who cares, but okay. Um, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people. I wonder if he sounded like that. If we are being called to account today for an act of kindness 
shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Here's why this is so significant. You know, just a few days before, you know, when the arrest was going on, here Peter, fearless Peter, when a girl walks up to him and says, hey, weren't you with him? He said, no, I never knew him. The same guy is now saying, By, because you crucified. I mean, this guy is now up in the grill of these guys. You know, up in the grill. I'm going to jump over the top of this pulpit. <laughs> what happened? What happened to Peter? Did he hear another really good sermon? No. Did he get a message? No. He'd seen Jesus. And suddenly this coward who was threatened and scared and shivering and hiding, all of a sudden it didn't matter to him. You can arrest me, you can beat me, you can torture me, I don't care. How can I deny what I've seen and what I've heard? Continue on down, to drop down to verse 18. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. <laughs> but Peter and John replied, Judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God, for we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Peter and John did not face you know, torture and eventual death because of what they believed. There are lots of martyrs, people who have died for what they believe. And that's not unique. You know, that's really not unique. Peter and John faced persecution and eventually torture and death because of what they saw. That sets up us, us up as Christians that are different, apart from every other religion, in a very, very significant way. How can I deny what I've seen and what I've heard? Well, okay, so if there are any skeptics among us, you would say, well, okay, fine, your source here is all, you know, your book well, okay, I'll give you a, a, a source outside the book, outside the Bible. There is a famous historian contemporary to about that time named, named Flavius Josephus. And uh, he was a Hellenistic Jew. Um, he was, um, um, boy, I don't want to go down that rabbit trail, but he was, you know, me and rabbit trails, right? We'll stay off of that one today. So he was a Jewish man and a leader, and he, he wrote a couple of famous books that you can go to the library and they're there today and you can get them online. They're very easy. This, is, this man is not a Christian. He was not a Christian. Um, and he wrote two books, one about the, um, the, the battles against the Romans and the conquest of, of Jerusalem in, in 69 and 70 AD. And another one he wrote called The Antiquities of the Jews. And I want to read to you a quote from the book, Antiquities of the Jews. I'm putting the address up there. Jot it down. You can check me out on this. This is not a Christian man. This is a secular um, historian. Now there was about this time Jesus, a wise man, if it be lawful to, to call him a man, for he was a doer of wonders, a teacher of such men as receive the truth with pleasure, people who are willing to be taught. He drew many after him, both of the Jews and the Gentiles. He was the Christ. Now that is a very meaningful phrase in Hebrew um, context. The anointed one sent from God. Okay. When Pilate, at the suggestion of the principal men among us, had condemned him to the cross, those that loved him at first did not forsake him, for he appeared to them again 
alive again the third day. Josephus says he rose from the dead. As the divine prophets had foretold these and 10,000 other wonderful things about him and the tribe of Christians, so named from him, are not extinct at this day. And you can see the reference. Boy, hey, if I could talk to Josephus, I'd say, hey, hey, Joe, we're still at it and we're going stronger than ever. (laughs) You know, Peter, Peter, um, when his time came to die, he was under arrest and he was being persecuted for what he saw not what he taught. And they said, okay, well, we're going to crucify you. And he said, hold it. I'm not worthy to be executed in the same way my Lord was. So they said, fine. They turned him upside down. They crucified him upside down. John, John was pretty much put into isolation, solitary confinement for the remainder of his life. They put him on an island, a desolate island, and left him there to rot. Now, these guys never, ever recanted. There are books that, have, that talk about what happened to um, to all of the disciples and the followers, and person after person after person was tortured and executed. Years later, none of them ever recanted. How could they? It wasn't their philosophy. It wasn't their teaching. They saw what they saw. If you've seen it, you've seen it. It was an event that was so pivotal and so transformational that these men became what they became. Acts, okay, drop down to verse... uh, 33, with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. The message wasn't love one another. It wasn't about the prodigal son. No, it was that Jesus had risen from the dead. And everything that we talk about here rises and falls on that. It's the foundation of our faith, this one event in history. The Apostle Paul says it, and he says it under no uncertain terms, 1 Corinthians 15. He says, And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. So you might say, No, it's not that useless, Paul. Come on. That thing about my marriage has really helped me. My marriage is better. Or, you know, the thing about the kids, it's really, really, really helped me a lot. But Paul says, Hey, you don't get it. It doesn't matter how practical it is. It doesn't matter if it works. It doesn't matter how much it helps. If Jesus has not been raised from the dead, it's all a lie and your faith is futile. So the resurrection is not something that makes for a nice, neat package that we tie it up and we add it on to the end of our faith. And, 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 and it's, you know, it's, the resurrection is what ignited the hearts of these people. They went out and changed the world. And it was because, and Paul is saying to us, I'm, I'm just telling you, this is so crucial that if it didn't happen, everything else collapses. That's why this one event in history is so important to us. Not only is the resurrection the foundation of our faith, it's the foundation of our faithfulness. Our faithfulness. The reason you and I follow him with passion and commitment is that Jesus rose from the dead. The reason that you and I serve and love and sacrifice is because a dead man walked. The reason we resist with our flesh the things that you know, we want to do sometimes and they really aren't right and we don't want to do them and, and, and the way we give our lives away to other people is because Jesus rose from the dead. When Paul gets to the end of this chapter that I just was, had you in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, he says in verse 15, Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. That means when it's convenient, 
you stay faithful. And it means when it's not convenient, you stay faithful. It means when it works out relationally, you stay faithful. It means when it doesn't seem to be working and your family's at your throat, maybe for good cause, maybe for not, you stay faithful. It means that when there's a reward involved, you stay faithful. (laughs) And it means when you're being persecuted, you stay faithful. The foundation of our faith is not that it worked, even though it does. I'm not saying it doesn't work. Okay, you got that, right? The foundation isn't that it worked. It's because a dead man came back to life. That fact validated and verified that he was, in fact, the Son of God, that he was who he said he was, that he was the Christ. As long as you choose to remain faithful because it works, there will come a day when all of a sudden things are just messed up enough that it just won't work. And so into those moments, into life's challenges, the Lord says to us, stay faithful, stay firm. Not because of an insight or a sermon, but because Jesus rose from the dead. (laughs) We've seen it, we've heard it, it's true, it's powerful. He rose to verify his identity and to validate who he was and We don't believe because it works and because it's practical. We believe because Jesus rose from the dead. He rose and verified his identity and validated his faith. And we, you and I can believe with integrity because of his death and his resurrection. This is fuel for Christian living. This is, it really is fuel for Christian living. Now, we're about done. I want to say if you're not a follower of Christ, You need to stop everything at some point and say, you know, stop saying, yeah, but this prophet says this or this person teaches that. And face the implications of his event, of the event, the events. Face the implication of his event. Did he, since since he rose from the dead, what about your event? Eternity rises and falls on the hands of the one who controls life. It really does. The one who has the power over death in the grave. Hey, it's time to sign up. Not sign up to become a member of Crossroads Church. You can do that too. That's not what I'm talking about. It's time to sign up. It's time to sign up. And you might be saying, well, well how, how will I know? How will I know? Okay, so I've had half an hour with you to make a case. Um, but here's what I believe. This is more than intellect. This is something that is spiritually determined. Truth is spiritually determined. The Spirit of God seeks around and finds, holy, finds hearts that are, that are available, willing, willing to be taught, open enough. And here's what I suggest. Get yourself, get your, get, get your hands on a Bible. Any Bible will do. Any Christian Bible. And in the beginning of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, those are called the Gospels. And those are the ones from which we get like the Christmas story comes out of there and other ones. You'd be familiar, even if you've never read the Bible before, you'll see things there you'd be familiar with. And it's kind of interesting to read. It's very interesting to read. But read it. 
And then read it yourself, though. Do your own reading. And then wrestle with a question. Okay, all these stories. If he didn't rise from the dead, what turned these guys around? What ignited them? Because something ignited them. That's the question. Wrestle with that one. The foundation of our faith is an event in history, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the resurrection that verified who he was and validated him and validated our faith. Let's pray. Lord, today on Easter Sunday, we are so grateful. We're so grateful that not that we're different from all the other world religions, we're grateful, Lord, that we're different because of the event. You proved it. You proved yourself. You validated what you said. You had been to see God. You were with God. You are God. There is no other way besides you. So, Lord, I just pray for these next couple moments especially, that as you circulate among us, that, God, something of testimony, your, your testimony would be speaking to hearts. Christians, please be in prayer right now. As, we, as I'm praying and as everybody's eyes are closed, I just want to talk to you if you've never opened your heart and said, oh, I need to get squared away with God. An event is in your future. Your, your clock will come to an end. Where will your eternity be? And the answer to that is determined by whether you have relationship with the author of life. It's not determined by what you've done or how good you can be because you can't be good enough. There is not a person in this room who's good enough to get to heaven. There never has been one in this room and there never will be. And so what do you do? What you do is relationship with the one who is the author and the finisher of faith. If you've never opened your heart to the Lord, it's the thing you do. And your name gets written in what he calls the book of life. You don't have to understand all of the rest of it now, but if your heart is available, I just wanted to say to you, there is a scripture that teaches this. It says, if you believe with your heart and confess with your mouth, you will be saved. That doesn't mean you stand in front of the church and say something. I won't embarrass anybody. A confession can be just as much as looking someone in the eye and saying, yeah, I agree with that. I'm opening my heart to the Lord. So as, I, as, as the church is full of people praying right now, I'm going to look across the room and give you the opportunity to just seal this moment now to make this decision. That's it. I won't embarrass you, I promise. I won't call you out or identify you. That's up to the Lord. So if you'd like to open your heart to the Lord, would you just look up at me and just let me agree with you as I look across the room. Christians praying. Thank you, God. Thank you. Is that why? God bless you. Your sins are forgiven. Pray. Way to go. Is that why you're looking at me? Way to go. Is that why you're looking? Okay, good. Praise your name, Lord. God, you're good. Thank you. Good. 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 Well, Lord, I want to thank you. There have been seven or eight people who have opened their eyes and said, yeah, I need to make that decision. Thank you for that, Lord. I pray, God, for, um, for those now, maybe any here, too, that were just there but just not quite brave enough that, God, you, you would now walk with them and guide them and fill them with life. I want to thank you, God, that those names have now been added to the book of life. I want to thank you, Lord, for the good things you do, for the way you love your kids. Thank you for the price you paid. In Jesus' name, amen.
Amen, amen. Okay, so everybody look at me for a minute. I'm not going to identify anybody. I want to say to this, to those of you that, that looked up at me, it's really important that you um, continue your relationship. You develop your relationship with God. And you do that by getting to know Him, by worshiping Him regularly, and being around other people who can help you learn. So I invite you, not necessarily to come to this church, but this is a good one, okay? We're here on Sundays at 10. We'll love you the way you are. And just, that's it. Nothing else weird. God bless you. Ready to stay in a worship?